Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on, Jason Wright here? Welcome back to episode number six. So I've got an interesting uh, topic uh, I'm going to just kind of talk to myself about right now. Uh, it's something I revisit occasionally in business, right? It's never like planned. It's not like a quarterly or a yearly reflection. It's just kind of uh, based on circumstance. But it's the idea of competition versus collaboration. What's better for you? What's better for business? Should you compete with everybody? Should you partner with everybody? Should you do a little bit of both? The younger, less experienced Jason Wright would have been like, screw everybody, everybody's competition. Because I'm not really a partner guy. It's not really in my DNA. A lot of people have opinions on that, and it's fine. You got to do what works for you, right? I'm not really a partner guy. But I have found that if you have aligned values and aligned goals, collaborations can make sense. You know, in my world, as long as the skill sets don't overlap and they complement, I think there's some value there. I definitely like to meet people face-to-face -face if possible and look them in the eyes and figure out who I'm dealing with. That helps, but uh, there is also something to be said about competition. Competition is obviously healthy. More choices in a market can be a good thing, right? Especially if you're operating at a high level, doing things well. So, my thoughts on that have changed over time. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. I think with collaboration, another key, and this is just general business talk, right? This isn't specific to marketing or anything per se, but just kind of random thoughts for me. It's what you get at the beginning of the podcast episodes that have even caught on by now. But I think as long as there's something in it for each party, right? Because one thing that frustrates me is I have a lot of people that will reach out to me, want to partner for like the digital marketing stuff, but truth be told, they have nothing to bring to the equation. So I look at it as another cost, another use of my time with nothing in it in return, so I don't do it. And you have to be that way. You have to get selfish when you're tired when there's a huge demand for it. So just some interesting things for you to think about and reflect on as you go through your day. All right, this week I talked to uh, another awesome guest. You'll hear me say that a lot because... People who aren't awesome are not welcome on the show. Just kidding. But I'll be talking to Stuart Heath this week. And again, I've had the opportunity to work with Stuart and meet him and break bread with him. We may or may not have shared a, not the same plate, but we may, have, may or may not have shared a wonderful meal in Louisville together this year. We weren't, we weren't cutting off the same piece of meat, but we had a good dinner together. Good dude, funny guy. Uh, he's the CEO of Harvard Grace Capital. He is also a CPA. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the real estate game. He really does. A lot of experience in life. Um, good dude. Quick-witted, good sense of humor, um, but interesting dude. And I think we had a great conversation. I think he enjoyed it as well. Um, without me talking about it anymore, let's get into it. Let's see. Hey, Stuart. Welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so I would love to hear this because I, I do not know this story, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. But tell me how you got started down the road with real estate investing. What was that like? It was a bumpy road. Uh, I like to say I've never learned anything uh, except through the hard way. Mm-hmm. But by trying it myself and only in my later years have I learned to learn from other people. <laughs> so, so I'm a CPA been practicing since uh, 1985 and on and off I started out my career with Pricewaterhouse uh, now Pricewaterhouse Coopers one of the uh you know what back then it was the big eight firms so I started out in Nashville and what an education public accounting can be for all types of businesses but I, I realized pretty quickly I don't like working for other people and and, and begin to look around at other things and so I left Pricewaterhouse after four years and started my own accounting firm uh, just just to be able to have the freedom with integrity of looking around what I want to do with, and not doing it on my employer done. And so I, and I, I knew my public accounting career was uh, really supposed to be a step to something else. So from there started many, many, many other entrepreneurial type ventures, some of which are still in business. Uh, most of them not, and but my my observation was my clients that I had that were in real estate. Uh, so I had several people who were just real estate agents, go getters, and hustlers who started flipping houses. The next thing you know, they owned a a forty unit multifamily building, and well, how did you do that? Uh, it took about twenty flips, you know, uh, to, to be able to to end up with that one. And so I realized several things about real estate. One, that I liked it a lot. It's an easy thing to get into when you don't have a lot of capital because you can leverage uh, you know, 80, 80% of the, the purchase price, usually, which means you just you don't have as much you know, that you have to come up with out of pocket. And you can do it passively or you can do it you know, actively. You, you can do a redevelopment. And, and I just love it. I like to say I love the dirt. And so um, really one evening, sitting in my house at about 2 a.m., it was the middle of tax season, I am just, you know, pulling on what's left of my hair I had left. And uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching an infomercial from Carlton Sheets. Now, uh, you may not remember him. Uh, you're a lot younger than I am, but he was one of the first infomercials I remember seeing, but he sold this program called No Money Down. And it was a way to how to get into real estate investing. It, you know, I got cynicism from my father and just, what a scam. But I've been watching this guy for 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. You know, uh, and so I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. Hey, it's a, it's a money back guarantee. It's $199. So I, I bought the program because Nothing could be worse than another 25 years of tax season, you know, and it, anyway, we won't go down that road. But anyway, I got into it, and of course, I'm very familiar with business principles and contracts and stuff like that, and it was just really cool nuts and bolts kind of stuff, and my biggest takeaway from Carlton Sheets was his one of his rules was, if you're not embarrassed by your first offer, then you're offering too much. And said, so, "Well, that fits my personality." And so, so I went out and started making really embarrassing offers. Yeah. <laughs> and the, 
and I got my first deal. I, I got a uh, I got a duplex in the heart of Franklin, Tennessee. I, it was in the middle of the hood, but uh, I had that thing 12, 15 years, to, uh, and it was just it was just a good, solid little property. Mm-hmm. I bought it for uh, $60,000, and the seller can talk the seller into taking back a mortgage for 55000 <laughs> So, up down $5,000, and I was in the real estate business. Nine months after that, I bought a group of duplexes up in north side of Nashville. A guy had 14 duplexes all in a row, uh, and we did some creative financing. The seller took back a little bit. I think he took, I think that was a million two purchase, and I think he took back the 200,000, not really sure about the numbers on that. And we did the rest of it with with a bridge loan fo- followed immediately by individual mortgages because back then you could refi Fannie Mae mortgages w- without any seasoning requirements whatsoever. So, And then I was like, gosh, I've got 28 units. So what am I going to do now? So uh, along the way, I uh, purchased a property management company uh, and grew that into a brokerage company. I also uh, had invested with partners in a, a home construction company about 2004. And so we're blowing and going and we're developing office condos and I'm rehabbing uh, condominiums. Uh, I, my next bigger deal was um, I bought a 72 unit condominium in Nashville uh, one at a time. Though I, I started out by buying one guy's group of 15. And then I just started buying them one by one until I owned the whole thing. And, and about by the time I got finished with that, it was late 2006. We started renovating the entire thing, and we um, and we did one whole building. We did a grand opening. They were beautiful. I'm still proud of what we did. But by the time we did the grand opening, it was um, uh, early 2007. Uh, so I, I had 26 units available. That first weekend, I sold 28 units. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'll be out of this thing by June 30. And, and all of those closed, but I didn't sell another unit for another 18 months. Wow. You know, so then I started, well, let me do what I know. I started trying to rent them. And so long story short, I went through all of that and ended up giving everything back to the banks uh, in 2008, 2009, and and went completely upside down because all of this I had done with very little of my own money, no investor money, no really no equity at all. Wow. Banks had been um, banks had been all too willing. I'll buy this one. I'll hold it for a year or six months. We reappraise. I pull equity out. Go buy something else, and, and until the merry-go-round stopped. So uh, which which really happened in the summer of two thousand eight. So that's how I got started. But it never it never ever removed my my interest and love of real estate investing. As you know, you and I have, uh, as you know, had a dinner together and I didn't know any of that about you, which is really interesting, all the different businesses, but to, to go through that and then to come back up out of it, that really shows the world of kind of the entrepreneur you are, you know, you, uh, you. at the bottom, go up, go back down and start climbing again, you know, cause what other choice is there? That's beautiful, man. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So looking at like Harvard Grace today, are there any specific asset classes and or markets that you really focus on? And if so, why? Well, it's interesting. Uh, as, I, as I was mentioning in the, the pre-show, we just had a, a board meeting for Harvard Grace Capital this week. And we had a great debate over what's the future. And we, we do this at least once a year. Uh, what are we going to do? 
I'm the leader of Harvard Grace, so it's been my vision, but I invite people to come around and no one person can see everything. Yeah. And our vision continues to stay a geographic focus. And I think where we settled is we are going to, we're going to add some additional geographies, Mm -hmm. but we're going to stay very opportunistic on asset classes. We love multifamily, but but we, we conclude that it's still a little overpriced because I've yet to see a multifamily deal that will cash flow from day one. Yeah. I, I, so uh, the other thing we are going to do, we're going to start looking at more value-add opportunities and perhaps some outright development deals because the, a Harvard Grace deal is a growing cash flow deal from day one. Yeah. Those are getting pretty hard to find right now, especially with interest rates. Compared, I mean, uh, you know, uh, along with the sellers who haven't quite accepted that cap rates got to go up because of the interest rates. So it's getting pretty difficult to find unless we go do a value add, which we have done. Uh, everybody, we've done those before. They're very time consuming. So so we still like office uh, and kind of like what we heard at Raise Fest, um, suburban office slash retail. Those are very similar product types, which was our first deal that we did in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And just in really 12 months, we renewed a bunch of le- uh, leases and improved the average uh, rate per square foot, four bucks nice. a foot per year. You know, we've just closed a self-storage deal. We love, I, I mean, it wouldn't take much for me to decide that's all I ever did the rest of my life. But but I'm a little too opportunistic to paint myself into that corner. So we, we are actually looking at some multifamily right now, but I, I'm not confident in it. But anything commercial, I'm not a big fan of, of build to rent because I see myself as a more of a long-term hold guy. And my fear for build to rent is that the big guys, the big institutionals, the the, the Black Rocks and whatever, uh, a, a single family house is perfect for about 10 years. Yeah. And that's when things start. I think they'll just dump them on the market and that will put a, a two to three year damper in that location for single family homes. Uh, So anyway, that's, I'm not a single family home guy. Seems like people start there, but I really don't know many people that stay there. It becomes too difficult to scale and there's too many headaches and people end up becoming property managers. They don't want to let go of that. It just, I never hear anybody paint a rosy picture about trying to scale single family flips or anything like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's anywhere you can go with, with it much. I mean, those are great assets. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe my fear is uh, is unfounded, because. Yeah. Uh, but I, I suspect that that those institutions will, yeah, you know, they they tend to make big moves. Mm-hmm. They they don't seem to be patient and it's like, all right, we want to exit this position. We'll do that over the next four years. I don't think that's how they act. I, I think put put three hundred units on the market. Yeah. You know, and. and It'll it'll move a market. Absolutely. When you started first getting traction as a real estate investor, what simple marketing strategies and tactics kind of help you do that? The only real traction I can credit uh, as doing what I'm doing now uh, began when I joined Raise Masters about two years ago. I listened to a Hunter Thompson podcast, and he was advertising raise masters on the front end of his podcast and I'm like lord that's exactly what i need because i've been in finance my entire career 
Mm-hmm. I've had um, investment bankers and merchant houses um, as clients, and I've been on the deal side a great deal of, of my life, but I've never been on the capital raising side, and it is a specialty. And I knew that. And, but so from there, and you know, the most success I've had so far is is in social posting, doing a little blogging, and just trying to get some some awareness and attention out there. Uh, as you know, we're now trying to get out there and uh, and have a much better, more sophisticated presence. Uh, and we're, we're taking that across the board to our blogging, to, to content and websites and things like that. So um, we, we've had some success. I've had some, um, you know, random people respond to our stuff who have become investors of ours. That's awesome. I mean, it's like, wow, that really worked. And I mean, considering how much money we put in, it was all just time. It wasn't much money. Yeah. So uh, I, out of our 24 investors today, two of those came from pure marketing efforts. The rest of them were um, uh, my professional network yeah. uh, from 35 years and friends of theirs. Yeah. Well, it was funny about doing anything online, with especially social media or content, is I can remember blogging with this business of mine for three years before anything happened. Like I would talk to my wife and be like, is anything going to come out of this? Like email subscribers. And it was just crickets. Right. And then, you know, eventually something happened. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe somebody booked a call or something, but one thing I've learned over time is there's so many more people watching than you think. And another way that you'll see that is with me, you know, like on Facebook, my personal page, big surprise, right? I'll post pictures of food or like events and travel, but nothing else. So I'll run into people, and a lot of times it's people I don't even really know. Like, I'm like, I know they're a neighbor, but I don't really know this person. And they'll make a comment to me, and I'll be like, what in the world? Oh, they're stalking me on Facebook. And it's like, <laughs> we're always watching. So yeah, anybody listening or watching, as a reminder, keep doing what you're doing with your content. It can take time, but people are watching, even if you don't, even if you don't notice. So, all right, I'm going to switch gears with you a little bit here. Okay is the biggest mistake you've made in regards to marketing so far? Like, do you look back at anything and go, man, what was I thinking there? Oh, that's a good one. I think one of the biggest mistakes I have made is trying to go too wide. Because yeah. when I first started blogging and stuff like that about three years ago, I was trying to also promote my consulting side as well as real estate investing side. And so I would have a tax debt. And I would have a capital raising day. And I would have, uh, I can't remember what the rest of, but Friday was just sort of a good news Friday. And and now I've turned Friday posts into uh, posts about this not-for-profit organization that I'm on the board of, and which is about anti-human uh, trafficking stuff that, that I work with. So I just make that about them. And, but now it's just really all about real estate investing. So I, I think people didn't know what they were going to get, you know, if they were watching at all. Yeah. And so I just think it was uh, too all over the board, too all over the place. And so now I've tried to focus it down to uh, educating people on the terminology uh, of real estate investing. And we're actually going to start blogging about deals we never did and why. Because yeah, well. uh, you know, I'm probably um, underwriting, and I use that term loosely, doing a, an initial analysis on five to six deals a week 
Yeah. And some of them we drill down on and, and go further, but most of them like, nope, nope, nope. And so we're going to blog about that and, and talk about, you know, why this deal didn't work. So again, just trying to be more and more focused on what we're, we're talking about. That may not be the biggest mistake that other people think of, maybe. <laughs> but that's the one that I that comes to my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was actually telling this story recently, but with what I'm doing, again, I start off super broad, right? And my whole goal is, you know, totally different business. But I was like, hey, hey, Carmen, my wife, I'm going to support us working at home. How are you going to do that? I don't know yet. That was always like the conversation. <laughs> And through yeah. Upwork, I started doing like little bits of digital marketing for people, but I would do anything for money. You may say, I need an SEO person. I'd say, I'll learn it. It might take me three times longer, but I'll do it for the pay rate you want. I'll learn it. And people would hire me. So it was like on the job training, but I realized like, man, this is so broad. I'm probably a C minus in all these areas because there's too many, right? There's too many. And like now we're so niche, and this is true with any business, right? It's so niche that... You do the same thing over and over and over. You have a chance to get really, really good at it. Um, yeah, I think it's so important because yeah. really? I would have hired you to do our website, and yeah. you know you're you're so now focused, which is awesome, that you referred me to another great contractor, and, and you know we're we're very pleased all up and down. But uh, I, I'm I'm like you when when I was uh, you know, looking for jobs as a young CP. Yeah, hey, you want to do an insurance company? Don't know a thing about insurance company, but yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> We'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a day. You know. Thank God the water doesn't get cut off, you know. So <laughs> very good stuff, man. All right. Here's another curveball for you. Get ready. Can you share a story from your real estate investing journey that you have not shared publicly before? It can mm -hmm. be happy, sad, funny, whatever you want it to be. Sure. This <laughs> uh, this will be a funny one. Okay. Most of the funny stories come from the property management side. You know, so that's something else that we do as uh, it's Harvard Grace is we don't really sub out management. Okay. Um, just 30 seconds on that. I think the property management model is broken. Yep. Uh, and and that there's no margin in it. And therefore, there's, you, you don't find very many good managers out there. So I apologize to all the great managers, but I've never found you. <laughs> and... and <laughs> uh, so you're welcome to contact me. We do management ourselves. Yeah. And, and really as a loss leader value add, I mean, and when I say we, I mean me. Yeah. Uh, and it's the best way to ensure that we're delivering on the pro forma that we sold to the investors. Yeah. Uh, and, and so anyway, there's a lot of funny stories that come out of property management. So this one's a little on the off-color side, but anyway, going back to that first duplex that I bought. So there was a um, a little lady in there. She was a Section 8 tenant, and she had lived there for 40 years when I bought it. So when I met her, she was 90 years old, and she passed away when um, when she was 94. Anyway, I did all kinds of things to that house, really just for her. We redid all the plumbing supply lines and all the drain lines. And, and then shortly after I hired this plumber to do all new plumbing supply lines, she started calling me up saying, there's a, uh, there's a leak by the toilet. Okay. I get the plumbers out there. Hey, there's a leak by the toilet. They, they go out there. They can't find anything. So third time I said, I'm meeting you out there. She says there's a leak. So yeah. You know, I'm, 
I'm pretty protective of my tenants and stuff like this. So I'm coming out there. Anyway, they um, they tested and we even put blue dye in the tank of the toilet and flushed it to see if blue water would come out on the floor. Nothing. There's nothing there. So we go through this round two or three more times. As it happens, her son was visiting and staying with her at the time. And um, her son is blind. Oh, boy. And so the plumber and I kind of look at each other. We were just bewildered. We kind of looked at each other. And light bulb goes off. And, and I said to my tenant, ma'am, could, could your son be missing the toilet when, when he's going into the restroom? Oh, no, no, no. You know, it was, you know. 93-year-old mom still protecting her little boy who was 60. And so, sorry it's a bit you know, off-color, but I have laughed about that for, for 20 years now. <laughs> it's like, it's not a rake, the guy's peeing on the floor. So we... We're putting in blue water, but there's golden water everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the flooring around the toilet was dark, and I mean, you really couldn't. Yep. But... But, but we did know it, it, it smelled awfully bad, and we're just like, where is this coming from? And, you know, property management, you deal with people where they live. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in residential management, anyway. Yeah, I made some good friends, but um, that's kind of another reason I lean towards self-storage in office and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. It's uh, people tend to be a little um, crazy at home. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, that's a good story. I like that. I like that question because it brings out some very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What piece of marketing advice would you give a newcomer to the capital raising game if somebody's like, hey, Stuart, this is what I want to do. Where should I begin? Good question. Depending on how new you are, but don't do what I did. Learn from other people like Jason. Learn from other people like Hunter Thompson. And if you can afford it, join raise masters because the the teachings in those modules are just top notch uh, and i have watched those modules three times in two years and you know uh full disclosure i'm probably going to re-up again for a third year mm -hmm. it, it's just been that valuable to me not just from the education but from the connections and, and things like that and, and and follow these steps but here's the most valuable thing that I have learned, and it's the book that we got, you know, who not how. Do not try to do everything yourself. Yeah. Find people to do it. I mean, capital raising is a marketing operation. I am just pat myself on the I'm pretty good one-on-one -on -one with the investors. Yeah. Uh, where I suck is filling that funnel to get them to have a conversation with me. And there is, that is a profession that is, there's a skill and people like Jason, you know, know how to fill, work it and fill that funnel. And you need to use the digital tools. It might cost you some money, but probably not as much as it will cost you when you're trying to do all of this yourself. Yeah. Obviously, if you have time to do it yourself, yeah, yeah, it's helpful to learn. But most of us come at things we have to make a living. Yeah. Uh, and so... It's going to cost you some, it's really not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. Have a great website, use digital tools to fill the funnel, and then, then use automations to um, educate and nurture them to where they ultimately have a conversation with you. And that to me is the secret. And just, 
what I told my board this week is um, just from my own poll, I've met about two dozen guys through Raised Masters who have implemented these tools and have raised a billion dollars collectively. Yeah. Uh, it's just, to me, this isn't guesswork anymore. It's just work that needs to be done. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Very, very good. All right, let me ask you. So we're recording this really funny, really educational show in January of 2023. What are you focused on for the rest of this year as we continue to grow this business? Uh, our primary focus for the first half of this year is um, expanding our investor network. At the same time, we are focused on increasing our deal flow. Yeah. Because 2023 is going to be a very different year than than the five previous years. Uh, you know, a lot of deals got done in 22 that were sort of already in the works, and so a lot of them fell out because of interest rates, but some of them got done just under the wire. Yeah. So here we are in a new environment. You know, we know that uh, there's an awful lot of properties, commercial properties, that are going to have their five-year balloon notes mature this year. It's likely going to happen for the next three years. Some of these guys aren't going to be able to um, refinance. So we are we are all networking with bankers and other lenders. Is it, hey, if your client's having trouble, give us a holler. I mean, because there's a situation where you might be able to pick up a a, a deal uh, at a pretty good price, and your tenant's already built in because a lot of these things are um, are owner occupied deals that they can't refinance, and so we might be able to step in and and pick up. I think it's a generational opportunity to build some wealth as these values will turn back to more, more normal yep. uh, prices with within a more stabilized economy. So that's what we're focused on. Sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, every time there's a, a dip or a recession or anything even remotely like that, there's always opportunity. So Always. You know, we, we all know a ton of people that become victims of the situation, right, because all they do is complain about it and don't do anything. And then there's other and the victim. Say, yeah, there's <laughs> other people that say, "Hey, wait a minute here. If we prepare for it, we think ahead, and we don't panic. There's actually some really good opportunities as well." Well said. Well, and that's that's why you need to build your investor network too. Yeah. So you don't have to be able to do it yourself, but your investors that are looking for the opportunities as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So if anybody listening or watching would like to get more information from you and learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do so? Best way for them to do so is to go to harvardracecapital.com. You can uh, get on our email list, find out about our current offerings. Uh, you can uh, get a link to uh, book some time with me. I would absolutely love to talk with anyone about real estate almost at any time. It's uh, it's kind of an obsession, but that's the best place to get it. We're also on LinkedIn, and um, I'm told we're on Facebook, but uh, I, I rarely go there. So. <laughs> Right, so. But, uh, I mean, any of those normal places, but website's probably the best way. Okay. Sounds great. Well, uh, really appreciate having you on, as always. Uh, lots of laughs and lots of good information. So thank you for coming on. You're a rock star, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. 
reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you are ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.